morning, Waters Church. How's everybody doing with this time change with this 11 o'clock hour? Are we good with that? Let's face it, whoever is not good with it, too bad. Done. What's done is done. We're here. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Happy summer, everybody. It's warm outside. It's warm in the presence of God. It's good to be here. You in a good mood? Let me put you in a bad mood. I need to talk about politics for a moment. I need to talk about politics for a moment because um, one of our senators attacked one of the ministries of our church. And uh, when they take on a specific ministry of our church, I have to say something. So that's what I'm going to do. Thank God for the Supreme Court overruling Roe v. Wade a couple of weeks ago. If you're an American, you get to be pro-choice. If you're a Christian, you don't. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. We don't believe life begins at conception. We believe that life is God's idea from before conception. Scripture after scripture after scripture confirms. Ecclesiastes 11.5, you do not know, O man, the way the spirit comes into the bones in the womb of a mother. We're not just woven together in our mother's womb, as Psalm 139 says, by Almighty God. We can even get saved in the womb. Did you know that you could get saved in the womb? John the Baptist was in the womb of his mother when Mary came to greet Elizabeth, and at the sound of Mary's greeting to Elizabeth, John the Baptist kicked in the womb of Elizabeth saying, I got to get out, and I got to start telling people about Jesus. We're woven together. We're stitched together. We are fearfully and wonderfully made in the secret place. Again, if you're an American, you get to be pro-choice. If you're a Christian, you don't. We go with the word of the living God. Let God be true and every man a liar. Now, you have a pastor who's going to do this kind of stuff. If you don't like that, the Methodist church is right down the street. Dead as a doornail, but it's still there. If you want life, you got to speak the truth. If you want the Holy Spirit, you've got to submit to the truth. If you want a dead church, you follow the culture and the values of this world. I don't want a dead church. I want a live church. I want a living church. So Elizabeth Warren came out after the Roe v. Wade overturning. And it's one thing to be pro-choice, Elizabeth, but it's another thing to take on with vicious intent pregnancy resource centers, which our church supports financially. And here was her words, quote, here in Massachusetts, these so-called crisis pregnancy centers outnumber genuine abortion clinics three to one. Thank God for that, by the way. But she doesn't like that. Then she says they are giving it over to the people who wish them harm. Amazing. Wish them harm. Uh, over the last 10 years, pregnancy resource centers have given 
young pregnant mothers over $270 million in tangible care, including free essential baby items, which blows away the argument of the pro-choicers who say that you pro-life Christians are only concerned about the baby in the womb. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And every statistical metric proves that Christians put their money where their mouth is when it comes to the value of not only the child in the womb, but the child outside of the womb. There are 36 couples for every child waiting to be adopted right now in this country. 36 per child. My sister-in-law and brother just brought home an, an adopted child, one of the best blessings you can imagine. It's almost more beautiful than natural birth because that's the heart of God. God only had two natural sons, Adam and Jesus. Every other one of us is adopted. The heart of God to save life, to bring life. The scripture says in Proverbs 8, 36, all who hate me love death. Our culture loves death. We call it a choice. It's not a choice. It's death. You have an appendectomy, you get your appendix out. You have an abortion, you take a life out. To the women who have had an abortion in this church, grace. To the women who are on the verge of having a divorce, we compel you to repent and receive the good news of Jesus Christ and give the, better, to give the child a chance that you had. Then she said, finally, and that has to stop. We need to put a stop to that abortion, um, pregnancy resource centers. We have to put a stop to pregnancy resources centers in Massachusetts right now, end, end of quote. That is our senator. Now, ladies and gentlemen, she works for you. You might not have voted for her, but she still is hired to represent you. So here's what I want you to do. We're putting her information up here on the screen. We're gonna give you her phone number and her email on her website, sorry, her website, would you do me a favor and call her this week? And I, I mean, this is why we see our culture deteriorating is because Christians don't do anything. And I'm compelling you, I'm asking you, make the phone call if you're a citizen of Massachusetts, 202-222-4543. And tell Elizabeth that you support the pregnancy resource centers that she attacks. And it is appalling to hear those words from your senator. Now, you probably aren't going to get her. You're probably going to get her representative. But if they hear enough of us say something, at least she'll know we're here. It is us. We are the church. We are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. If we do nothing, the world goes to hell. If we do something and we say one, wasn't that, wasn't that the compelling reason to shut the whole world down for six months? If it saves one life. So we all had to Netflix and chill for six months straight for one life. Well, if it saves one baby, hallelujah. If it saves one life, make the phone call, call her, be bold, be strong. You're the church of the living God. We're the people of life, not death, truth, not lies. Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay. Welcome, everybody that's watching online. We're so glad that you're here. We want to say welcome to Apollo Beach, who is also watching this message. You are in week four, but we are in week two 
of Summer of Psalms. So everybody take out your Bibles, Psalm 27. We're going to, one of my favorite, not, not one of my, we are going to read my favorite verse in the Bible, and I want to talk to you on this topic. Are you ready? Confident no matter what. Confident no matter what. Psalm 27, if you got a paper Bible in the house, Raise it up. Let me see the paper Bible. Who's got the paper busy in the hizzy? Come on, somebody. Yeah, amen. Psalm 27, open it up there. And then if you've got your notes out and uh, in-person locations, make sure you take those out. It looks like this. If you are not in person or you don't like paper, you can go on to waterschurch.guide and you can click on today's notes or today's message and it will look like that. And you can follow along and take notes that way. Psalm 27, uh, my favorite Bible verse in all the Bible, right here uh, on my yearbook picture in Bible college, favorite verse for Tim Hatch, Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? I love that, fear. Fear is the real virus, friends. It's the, under, it's the underlying, undermining Spirit that destroys your life. The reason why you sin is because of fear. When you don't think you're going to have enough and you're afraid, you will steal, covet, cheat. When you're afraid of being who you are and truthful, you will lie. When you are afraid that life will not give you pleasure, you lust and materialize after other things. The root of all sin is fear, which is kind of ironic because the fruit of the first sin was fear. I take you back to our original parents, Adam and Eve. They were naked and unafraid. Um, this is what we were made to be, by the way. We were made to be unafraid, uninhibited, God did not create clothing. We did. We put it on to cover up what? The fear and the shame that sin brought. Genesis chapter 3, it says that after sin entered the world, Adam, it says the Lord God called to the man in verse 9. He said, where are you? And he said, Adam said, this is after sin comes into the world. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was what? Afraid. Can we put the verse up on the screen for me, please? Genesis 3, verse 9. And I was afraid, and I hid myself. This is, what, this is what sin does. Sin produces fear, and fear produces shame and further sin. You know, there's a, a reality to your life, which I'm not sure you're aware of, but when you have children, you become aware of this. When you were a child, you were really confident. Your first word was, Mine. You felt that the whole world was yours. It was all about you. And you celebrated your, you weren't ashamed of yourself at all, were you? You used to run naked through the living room. Do you still do that? Anybody still do that? Don't raise your hand. There's something wrong with you. Now, I'm not encouraging you to disrobe this morning. Keep your clothes on. But I am talking about that inward, internal disconnection inside of us that causes us to shrivel up inside. In fact, anxiety, the root of anxiety is fear. 
fear that I might make the wrong choice. I was reading an article this week about young people's problem with anxiety is largely rooted in the fact that they are faced with far too many options. And back in the old days, you had like two options. And now it's like you got unlimited options. You don't know what to do. And if you make the wrong choice, what are you going to do? And, and you got all these options to obsess about that you didn't choose. It produces anxiety. Anxiety, when it gives a full birth into your life, it produces depression, a sadness, a sinking feeling, a hopelessness. This is all rooted in the original sin, a disconnection from God. When you are disconnected from God, it brings fear into your life. And, and when, when we look at our world and, and we see the, the upending of institutions, almost every institution upended, flipped on its head, education flipped on its head. Now we teach our children lies about biology and science in the name of ideology and indoctrination. And when we think this is going to be healing to the kids, no, no, the levels of anxiety and depression are skyrocketing as we do this for our young people. Because the root of sin is fear. And fear causes more sin. And so what God wants to do in your life is he wants to eliminate the fear virus. He wants to give you confidence. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Without confidence that God gives our lives will unravel with the confusion the world offers. And what I love about Psalm 27 is that, that David is confident. We know David. David versus who? Okay, I thought we knew David. Um, David versus Goliath. It's still a p- cultural euphemism. Every sporting event where there's an underdog, they reference this guy from 3,000 years ago, the shepherd boy who took on the giant Goliath and with a sling and stone knocked that sucker out. Confidence. And while he was on the way to the battle, people doubted him and, 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 and questioned him. And even Saul said, you can't do it. You're a young boy. Who do you think you are? And he said, the Lord God delivered me from a lion, and he delivered me from a bear, and the same God who delivered me from those paws will deliver me from this Philistine. Oh, confidence. I want that kind of confidence. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of confidence in life. I want to be strong in knowing who I am in Christ. And you can have that. What do young men need today? They need confidence. Young men who are trying their best to build a life and get married and have children. And I'll tell you, nothing will cause you to question yourself more than having kids. Oh, they'll cause you to doubt every instinct of your life. Hey, what do you need? You need confidence and young mothers and you're just starting out and, and it's amazing. And I remember when I took my firstborn home with my wife and I had the video camera out. I look back on this video, this video shot of, of me holding the camera and Cheryl was carrying the baby in. It should have been the other way around. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But I'm like, you're doing good, honey. You're doing good. Set her down right there. There you go. Good girl. And uh, so lacking of confidence. I didn't know what I was going to do. We put her on the table. We said, What now? And I remember when we got a television, the first television I ever bought, it was a $500 television from Best Buy, and they gave me a manual. It was this thick. I brought home a human life. No manual. Just 20 years of trying stuff. That's all it's been. You know, confidence. What do you need in in your single life? You need confidence. If you don't have confidence in who you are, 
You'll think that you're only half of somebody until somebody loves you because the world fills you with the confusion. You're nobody till somebody loves you. That's a lie. That's a lie. You don't need someone to love you. You've already got God who loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love and his love will never leave you. That's called confidence. If you don't have confidence in who you are, you'll fall for the first guy who, who winks at you. You don't have confidence in who you are in the job. You'll mess up and you'll never want to go back. We need confidence as God's people in this culture that is getting increasingly hostile to Christian faith. Worldwide, did you know that persecution of Christians is on an astronomical rise? Between the years 2021 and 2022, I'm sorry, 2020 and 2021, Christian persecution, murder of Christians worldwide went up 24%. Murder of Christians. You say, I didn't know about that. That's because the news doesn't give a rip about that. They care about a woman's right to choose. That's what they care about. And we're indoctrinated in this culture, and if we aren't careful, we'll get right in line with what culture is doing instead of understanding what Christ is doing. And now is not a time, Christian, now is not a time to be half-hearted and kind of in the church and not kind of in the church. Now is a time to sink yourself into God's word and God's truth and God's house so that you can have confidence in life and stand for Christ in a world that hates him. And what I love about this psalm is David is surrounded by enemies and yet he is confident. I want you to stand with me for the reading of God's word at all of our locations. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When, somebody say when. when. Now I only ask you to say certain words because it's important to point out something here that David says when evildoers assail me. He doesn't say if. It's not a matter of if evil people will attack you. It's a matter of when. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that which I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, verse 7, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, O Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation." Lean in here on verse 10, everybody. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. They breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is God's word. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, speak. We are here to hear from you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. 
And most importantly, help us to see and love Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Have a seat. Without the confidence that God gives, our lives will unravel with the confusion of the world. The devil's a trickster, friend. The devil is a trickster. You need to understand the scripture's first definition of the devil is he was shrewd. He tempts you. He tempts you on the basis of fear. God is holding out on you. Did God say you can't eat? Fear. You're going to start. Fear. Why? Why does a young girl choose to abort her child? Fear. Fear of what people will think. Fear of what that child might hold her back from. Fear of not having enough. Fear of being called out for a mistake. Or fear of that child suffering. That's what it really is. And so the devil comes and he causes fear. He causes fear to enter into your heart. Then you sin, and then the devil comes and backloads your sin with shame. And he blames you. He's the one who told you to do it, and then the moment you do it, he causes you to feel guilt and shame for doing it. He's a real jerk. Fear and shame. That's what Adam and Eve felt immediately. Fear is you. I heard this. I was afraid, and I'm covering up. Everything we're doing in life is trying to cover up. Our professions are trying to cover up with our faces and with our successes and our achievements. Cover up that inward feeling that we're not good enough. Makeup. Cutting our hair. Getting a new haircut. Oh, our filters on social media. The beauty filter on our phone. Oh, let me get rid of all the, all the nasty on my face. Let me, let me make sure that it, it glows with my, with my duck face pose. And filter it. Filter all the nonsense out. Because I'm afraid that if you see me for who I am, you'll be shocked. Psalm 27 is a wonderful psalm. You gotta understand the psalms. What are the psalms? The psalms are songs. It's the songbook of ancient Israel. These are the songs that they sang to God. They had, in the old days, we had hymn books in the church. Anybody remember the old hymn books in the church? I still know some of the numbers. It's hymn number 283. There's power in the blood. Hallelujah. Hymn number 114. Amazing grace. I mean, I was, I was old school. I mean, like, what the heck is a hymn? It's a pronoun for books from the old days. Amen. And then, uh, when, when you think about the, 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 the Psalms, you've got to understand that they are words given to us by God that we can say to him. And why is that important? Because we need to be given language to speak to God. Some of you don't know what to pray. Okay, here's what you do. Open the Psalms and start praying them back to God. See, someone once said that the Bible, all of the Bible is God's word to us, but the Psalms are our words back to God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So you can take courage in the fact that the Psalms are a guidebook. How can I talk to God? Now, why is that important? Because there's all different kinds of Psalms. There's actually seven different kinds of Psalms uh, on the spectrum of human emotion. Um, From the far extreme of joy, we call those praise psalms or royal psalms or thanksgiving psalms. And so we are given words to sing praise to God, worship God, and thank God. This, we're celebrating God. But on the other end of the spectrum of the psalms, we've got lament psalms or imprecatory psalms, psalms where we are given words to complain to God. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Like some of you are like, I could never complain to God. It's in the Bible. And we're given, like Psalm 22 is a great example. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Anybody ever felt like saying that to God? You're in good company because Jesus said it to God. On the cross, he quoted Psalm 22. David said it to God. David said in other Psalms, Lord, where are you? All day long I cry and you do not answer. My tears have become my food. He's crying a lament. Now hear why I bring all that up. It's because Psalm 27, the biblical critics, academia, if you will, biblical academia, believes that Psalm 27 is actually two psalms merged into one because the first psalm is all about David's confidence in spite of his enemies. He's, oh, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Oh, he's gonna be with me, I'm confident. Even if an army comes against me, God is with me and I'm strong, yay! Like, yay, praise God. But the second part, beginning in verse seven, oh God, please don't forsake me. Oh God, please don't cast me out. Oh God, please don't ang be angry with me. It, it sounds like a lament psalm and so, Biblical ivory tower scholars say that it was two psalms that later translators merged together. And this is the problem with academia. Because they're so disconnected from real life. It's not hard to imagine that at the same time that David is celebrating God's strength and power and goodness in his life, he's also praying that God won't cast him away because how many of you are like David that, that sometimes conflict and, con and, 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 and confidence can go together at the same time? Am I talking to anybody who comes to church and praises God and worships God, but inwardly you're like, I'm not even sure I know him. I'm not talking to anybody. Man, you put your hands up in worship, but if we knew what you did last Wednesday. Am I talking to anybody who knows that sometimes the day starts out with a, a confident psalm and ends with a lament psalm? Anybody, anybody hearing what I'm saying today? That's life. That's life. It's both and. It's, it's the good guy inside of me and the bad guy inside of me. What Martin Luther talked about, simul justus peccatore in Latin, simultaneously justified and sinner. Simultaneously accepted by God and yet so messed up it's not funny. Anybody, anybody with me here? Some, some, sometimes we come to church and we know. Look around and other people we say, man, look at them. They look like they're so together. And I, I'm not that, and look at that, oh, he's so confident. Look at how he raises his hands and sings. I, I couldn't, I'm not worth, let me tell you about the guy that you're looking at, and it looks like he's got it all together. He's faking it. He's praising in spite of his feelings. Come on, somebody. He's praising in spite of his failures. He's telling God, I know you're good even when I'm not good. Anybody with me on the guy? The guy in, in Mark chapter 6, when, when he comes to Jesus with the demon-possessed son, and he says, Lord, will you heal my son? And Jesus says, do you believe I can do this? And he says two things. What does he say? He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because this world will hand you reason after reason to lack confidence. You're in a battle. You're in a fight. And sometimes you get a setback but you can still be confident. David's surrounded by enemies. I count nine problems in this one psalm. Nine. That's a bad day. Verse two, evildoers come to devour me. Enemies attack me. Verse three, a mighty army surrounds me. I'm attacked. Verse six, enemies surround me. Verse 10, parents abandon me. Verse 11, enemies are waiting for me. Verse 12, liars accuse me. 
Verse 9, enemies threaten violence against me. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a Christian, you're in a battle. And there are enemies waiting for you. And if, if God is for you and with you, that's where you find your confidence. As, as God said to Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, it says, just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I love this promise. I will not leave you or forsake you. Amen. Be strong, be courageous, for you cause this people to enter in the land. Only be strong, verse 7. Be courageous, be careful to do according to all the law of Moses, my servant. Do not turn to it from the right to the left, for you will have success wherever you go. Why? Because God is with you. So that we could say like David in Psalm 27, verse 3. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not Though war rise against me, yet I will be Oh, imagine having an army coming at you, and you're like, I'm still confident. Well, well, listen, this is what David is saying in this psalm. It's entirely possible. Write this down. It's entirely possible to experience conflict and still be confident in God. And both are going to have to go together until Jesus comes in your life. Like, when will it get easier? When Jesus comes. <laughs> When will I finally be done wrestling with this evil condition? When Jesus, or you die. <laughs> you know? The bad news is you're a sinner. The good news is someday you get to die. <laughs> and that's the end of sin. That's the, for he who has died is done with sin, the scripture says. <laughs> Christians are not fake. Okay? We can be confident in spite of the conflict. And what I love about this psalm is David doesn't just say, well, it just happens naturally. It doesn't happen naturally. Not for Christians. There are five things that David unpacks here in Psalm 27 that gives us confidence. Are you ready for them? You're not so ready. All right, there we go. That's a little bit better. Be a little bit more confident. There we go. Number one, we grow in confidence when we embrace God's protective care. Write it down. Embracing God's protect, embrace that God is watching out for you. Um, in, in your notes, if you've got paper notes, or in your Bibles, and I'm a big fan of marking up your Bible, which is circle the pronouns in verse one. The Lord is my light. Oh, I love that. It's not just that the Lord is light, generally out there, distant from, no, he's my light. What does light do? Light illuminates, it shows us things we didn't formally see. When the word of God is properly preached and not man's opinions, it'll cause us to see some things we didn't see before. Like even when I mentioned pro-life verses or verses that support life in the womb, some of you, you're like, oh, because here's the problem. You're more conformed to this world than you are to God's word. But the light is shining not to condemn you, but to caution you. Are you with me here? You know, I love when you respond with clapping to my preaching, but I've learned something over the last few years that sometimes I'm, I'm happier when you're quiet. When I can hear a drop, because then I know you're like, He's reading my mail. He's watching my TikToks. <laughs> yes, I am, you weirdo. Stop it. <laughs> I'm not. But anyway, 
Sometimes the light comes in and it illuminates, oh, there's a rock, I'm gonna trip. There's a cliff, I'm gonna fall. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in God like I believe in the sun, not because I can see it, but because by it I can see everything else. God illuminate, he brings light, the Lord's my light. And then my salvation, and I love my salvation here because it's, <clears throat> it's a testimony to the fact that you didn't save yourself. Tell me your salvation story. Well, I came to church and put my hand up and said the prayer and I went through the baptism. Nope. You only did that because God did something to get you there. The Lord is my salvation. He brought me here. Salvation is God's idea, not yours. Even 1 John 3, 8 says, we love because he first loved us. He loved you when you weren't lovable. The reason why you love is because he loved you. The reason why you made that decision is because he took you through what you had to go through to get to that place where you did make that decision. Oh, stop acting like you saved yourself. Stop acting like you did anything. You were, you were lost, dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter two. You were dead. Dead people can't do anything. You weren't just lost, you were dead. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive. By grace, you are being saved. This is why God constantly in the Bible gives barren women babies. It's why God has to use a virgin named Mary to bring about Jesus. Why? Because God is teaching us that he specializes in bringing life from dead things. Life in the unexpected places. Your salvation is God's work. The Lord is my salvation, and the Lord is my stronghold. He's defending me. He's protecting me. Some, some of you don't need to realize uh, some of the things that you went through could have been far worse if God hadn't protected you and shielded you from it. He sets his angels around you. He protects his loved ones. How many of you could stand up here and could testify that the accidents you should have gone through, the catastrophes that you should have experienced, but it was God who kept your feet from the fire. He's the stronghold, the defense of your life. And that's what, Saul, that's what David said about himself when, he's faced, when he faced Saul, and Saul said, you can't possibly fight this giant. Look at you, and look at him. And he said, no, 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 your servant has struck down both lion and bear, and the Lord who saved me, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. It's not me, it's the Lord. He'll, he's got me. Some of you are facing a challenge right now. You need to hear it. God has got you in the palm of his hand. and No one will pluck you out. That brings confidence. Right, just think about, let me back up for a moment on salvation being God's idea, not your idea. This is why it's important, because if it was God's idea, he'll complete it. If it was your idea, then you're, up, you're on your own. Go, keep, keep yourself saved. Good luck with that. You can't keep yourself saved any more than you could get yourself saved. So if it is God who saves you, I think about Jonah. Jonah chapter two, verse nine, one of my favorite verses in the Bible as well. Salvation is of the Lord. Where did he say that? Where did Jonah say that from? From the belly of the whale. How, great fish, the Bible says, not whale. How did he get into the great fish's belly? How? By running from God. 
God said, go to Nineveh, go this way. He said, nope, I'm going that way. He gets into the boat. The boat encourages, encounters a storm. He tells the sailors, toss me overboard because my God's angry with me and I'd rather die than serve him. This is a guy who is an absolute rebellion of God, but he's still God's chosen servant. They toss him overboard. The storm subsides and the Bible says the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. I love that. The Lord provided a great fish. No matter how far you run, young people, the Lord's got a fish for that. He'll make him swallow you. And then he'll vomit you out. And with all the bile of the fish guts all over you, you realize there ain't no running from this God who saved me. He's got you. He'll protect you. He'll care for you. Number two, we grow in confidence when we prioritize time in God's presence. Now I gotta, I gotta move quick. When we prioritize God's, uh, time in God's presence, you gotta make time with God a priority if you're gonna have confidence in God. Now, now, this is a very important verse. Bear, bear in with me here in verse four. One thing I have asked of the Lord, he said. One thing, in the midst of all my enemies, in the midst of all my troubles, I've asked for one thing, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord. But then look what he says before that. He says, that will I seek after. Would you do me a favor in your notes or in your Bible? Circle asked and circle seek. Because asking and seeking work together in you getting. Asking and seeking work together in your getting. You cannot just ask and expect God to do everything. You've also got to seek. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall what? Find and knock and the door will be open. So it's both you ask, God does, and then you, per, you put yourself in places where it will happen. You can't just ask for a job. God, give me a job. Well, fill out some applications. How about that? Give me a little boost here. <laughs> and give me a spouse, Lord. Well, get a haircut, honestly. You look, you look like a caveman, seriously. You gotta, you gotta do something at the same time you're asking. When it comes to God's presence, you ask, God, I wanna, I wanna experience you personally. That's why he, means, that's why he says, um, to see his face later on. I wanna see his face. That's personal. That's interactive. So you ask for his presence, but then you gotta do stuff to experience his presence. You can't say, Lord, I wanna feel you. How many of you, I wanna feel the Lord. And then you go and watch TV for six hours. Yeah. Lord, I wanna feel you, and then fast. Or pray, or fast and pray. Read the scriptures. Get in a small group. You, buy, you made a good decision coming to church today. You made a decision to experience the presence of the Lord. By the way, he says to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in the temple. In the temple. I want to go to a place where people worship you. Because the scripture says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Now, some of you have said this. Your testimony is that when you come here, you, you just felt something. Like the first time you get, I just felt something. You know what you felt? You felt the presence of God. You did not feel my presence. My presence is not impressive. Ask my wife. Sometimes she's just like, I've had enough of your presence. Go. But God's presence can change you and lift you up and encourage you. But you've got to get out and go somewhere where people love God. Like when you get out of this place, you should be more courageous in Jesus because you've gathered as the people of God. 
to worship and experience him. So we ask and we seek and we prioritize time with the Lord. Number three, we grow in confidence when we know that God answers our prayers. And this is what David unpacks for us here in the psalm as well. Like, I, I, I'm confident because I know that God hears me. And, and notice how he says it. Kind of weird the way he says it, but it's, it's instructive. He says, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me, exclamation point. <laughs> Lord, hear my prayer. I'm, I'm confident that you are. And yet he knows he's a sinner, which is why he's saying, don't cast me away. Don't, don't turn your servant away. Verse 8 and 9. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my, cast me not off, forsake me not. Oh, God of my salvation. I know that I'm a sinner. Again, it goes together. I'm confident, but, but, I, but this part of me that lives in rebellion, Father, please don't hold that against me. This is the confidence that we have to approach God in prayer that he knows. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we're total saints. He understands us. It's why he sent Jesus to save us in the first place, because he saw your sorry self. And he said, that one really needs help. That's why Christians have no right to look down our noses at sinners. Our testimony is not we're better than you. Our testimony is we were probably worse than you. That's why we actually had to go to Jesus, because no one else could fix us. And, and, and so he's, Lord, cast me. And, he know, and so David knows, Lord, you're the one who told me to seek you. Look what he says in verse 8. You have said, seek my face, and my heart says, seek your face. So what is he saying? This is great theology here. The reason why I, my heart cries out to you is because you put it in my heart to cry out to you. You get it? This is what Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 44. He says, no one, no one can come to me unless... The Father who sent me draws him. Again, the reason why we worship Jesus is because Jesus came and found us. The first seeker of the Bible is not man, it's God. After sin, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, they heard the sound of the Lord and they went running and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They ran, but God came after them and said, where are you? The one who is looking for who? God was looking for them. My friend, understand, God has been looking for you. He seeks to save you. He comes after you. The prodigal son's father came running out to him to bring him home, not as a servant or a slave, but as a son. That's who God is. Well, verse, 27, uh, verse 10, my father and mother, they've forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. In other words, it doesn't matter what other people have done. It doesn't matter how other people have treated me. Even the people who should be most loving toward me, David says, my father and mother, they forsook me. David knows a little bit about that, doesn't he? Remember when Samuel, the prophet, gets a word from God. He says, look, I've rejected Saul as king. I've got a replacement in mind. He lives in the house of Jesse. 
So go to Bethlehem and go to Jesse's house and tell him the Lord's looking for a king from among your sons. And so Samuel does, and Jesse comes out. He's so excited, he parades his first, six, uh, first seven sons in front of Jesse. He says, pick, I got seven sons. And the Lord says, I haven't chosen any of those. And it's just like awkward silence for a moment. And Samuel's like, is there, an, do you have a, are you a, are you a baby daddy to any kids I don't know about? Where, is there another kid? So, yeah, there actually is one. I left him out in the field because even, I didn't have any thought that he would be chosen. That's David's story. My father didn't believe in me. When he goes to fight Goliath in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, the Bible says he didn't show up to fight Goliath. He showed up with bread and cheese. His father didn't even send him to battle. Still didn't believe him. Had the anointing oil from, from Samuel all over him. Still wasn't believed in by his father. So he has to show up with bread and cheese. He's Uber Eats for his brothers. That's what he's doing. And then he hears Goliath challenging the nation. He's like, what was this guy doing? And Eliab, his brother, hears David talking about Goliath. And, and, and Eliab says, get out of here. You're a troublemaker. Who do you think you are? Nobody asked you. His father didn't love him, and his brother didn't love him, but God did. I mean, that's your, your testimony's got to get there. Because there's a fatherless pandemic in this culture where you think that your father, man, he's all about what your father did. Some of you are still living that way. Oh, my father, my father, my mother, my mother, my father, my mother, my father. Man, they were sinners. Just like you. you know, take, take comfort in knowing that if... If you feel messed up by your parents, one day your kids will blame you for their problems. We're all sinners. As you can't live there, my friend. You can't live in the definition of your father and mother. You gotta get out of that and realize that no matter who rejects you, even if they should have loved you, the Lord will take you in. He will welcome you, he will comfort you, and he will heal that father wound in your heart. He will be a father to you. 1 John 5, 40, 14 says, this is the confidence we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears. He hears us. He answers our prayers. Now, some of you are like, well, God didn't answer my prayers. Yes, he did. He just said no. Sometimes he says no. In fact, there's five answers to prayer from God. Yes, no, slow, wait for it, grow, Grow up first, and hell's no. You ain't never getting that. <laughs> Amen. Okay, all right, number four. Let me move fast. We grow in confidence when we receive God's prescription for living. I want to lean in on this verse, too, because here's, here's, what, here's what David says. Not just I want to feel your presence, but I want to receive your prescription for how I should live. If God's presence doesn't change what we do, we actually haven't experienced his presence. We've just, we've just been emotionally shoved in a direction. Here's what he says in, in verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path. Big question for everybody. Do you have a teachable spirit when it comes to God's word? Or, or do you measure it? Do you do what the culture does? Do you do what America does? Well, I agree with some of it but not all of it. So now you're the judge of what's true. That's how very American of you. Good job being an American, but that's not being a Christian. 
A Christian bows the knee to God's truth. Like I said, you have every right to have your view the way that you were brought up. I guarantee you most of your views is the way you brought up. Your kids, your parents taught you how to believe, so you just believe the same thing. But if the Lord adopts you now, you've got a new father, you've got new marching orders, you've got a new law, you've got a new instruction manual, you've got a new way to do life. Psalm 119, 104, it says this, your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. This is why some people say Christians are so intolerant. No, it's not that we're intolerant. It's just that our, our tastes have changed. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that truth sets free. How could we ever go back to the lies that led us into addiction and despair? That, that's what happens when you get a hold of God's. I fear for the modern church. I even fear for some of you because you're more conformed to this world than the character of Christ. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not believe like them. Do not act like them. Do not have the values that they have. Don't let, in the word conformed, it, it refers to um, a conforming pressure from the outside in so that the world tries to do this on a regular basis. And young people, the world's doing this to you every day you go to school. Conform, you conform, you conform. This is what the world's like. This is what you do when you're single and young. You live together. That's conforming to the world. This is what you do. You know the young people, they just gonna have sex, so let's hand them condoms. That's conforming to the world. And by the way, we've told 50 years of teenagers to have sex. You're gonna do it anyway. Here, just make sure you're protected. And more than ever before, they're depressed. So maybe at some point we start saying, Probably not the best idea. Conformity to the world. Conformity to the world. This is how we do money. No, that's conformity to the world. You may be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Just like you were dead, your mind was dead. It was set on dead things before Jesus came in. Now he gives you the word of God to hear and the mind of God to receive truth and then to discern the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Like... The best way to come to church is to leave different on the way out. Because God has challenged some things. God has put his finger on some sacred cows in your life. And, and you're one, I don't want him to talk about that. Why is he talking about that? Why is pastor going there? Because God's going there. I don't know you. I don't talk to you. In fact, it's better that you don't talk to me. I know seriously, every once in a while people say, can I talk to you personally? No. I don't want to know. That way, when I say it from up here, you know that it's God, not me. You hearing this? Because this is very good preaching. I'm just letting you know. Some of you aren't aware what good preaching is. This is good preaching right here, okay? Transform by the renewal of your mind. And then God challenges the things that the world has tried to deposit into you, and I'm here to blow it up. That's my job. My job is to undo six days of devilish programming. And I don't know how some of you skip a Sunday. Because that's 13 days now I've got to undo for you. And some of you are like, I'm taking the summer off. That's like 90 days. I wonder why I'm exhausted after Sunday. I'm like, all these people, you've been indoctrinated by the devil for 90 days. I've got to come in here, drop nuclear bombs of God's truth, and blow up what you think is right, and bring to you the truth that sets you free. 
Man, get yourself here every week. Get yourself here so I can offend you every week. I want, see, a lot of people got, they want God's promises, but they don't want God's prescription. We do this with medicine. Fix it. Okay, before we go to the pill, are we eating right? Are we exercising? Are we getting good nicely? Oh, we don't want to go there. Oh, we don't want to go there. Now you're prying. Now you're, now you're meddling in my business, Pastor. Before we go to the pill, are we taking the right prescription for life? I'm not, I'm not against the pill. Some people, they do the things right. They still need the pill. What I'm talking about, though, is before you just ask God to fix something, How about fixing your life to what he's taught you to do? The scripture says in Proverbs 19, I was reading this the other day, when a man's ways lead him into destruction, he rails against God. That's what the culture does. That's what the world does. They go and they have sex with a bunch of people and then they get an STD and they're like, God, why? Where were you? I was there trying to tell you, don't do it, dummy. That's where I was. I gotta move on. Number five, we grow in confidence when we remind ourselves of God's promises. God's promises. Remind yourself. You've got to do it. If you're like me, you have those moments, you're like, am I even saved? Like the enemy comes and works on me. Puts those devilish thoughts in my head. Oh man. Where did that come from? You gotta remind, you gotta remind yourself. And here's, what's, here's how the psalm ends. David goes from confidence to conflict and questioning God and asking God, please don't cast me away, back to confidence. Verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. I believe for the best is yet to come. Wait for it, be strong, let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So many, so many of our problems, ladies and gentlemen, are because we spend way too much time listening to ourselves instead of speaking to ourselves. Some of you missed that, so let me say it again. You spend way too much time listening to yourself. And this is what I mean by that. Well, this is how I feel. So what? Stop letting your feelings do all the talking. Well, this is what happened. So what? Stop letting your past do all the talking. Imagine if David let all the past do all the talking. Well, my father didn't even put me in front of Samuel until he asked. Well, Eliab didn't think I could do it. And Goliath attacked me verbally. And Saul triggered me when I put on his armor. I feel microaggressed. Everybody's against me. Enough! Letting everyone else say something and making it real in your life. You gotta start speaking back to yourself and say, I know that God is for me. I know that Jesus loves me. I know I'm gonna see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let the devil do his worst. God's gonna do his best. Would you stand with me? At all of our locations, stand with me and bow your heads, close your eyes, because some of you got to get this now to say yes to Jesus today. Best thing you can do today, if you're not 
a Christian is to surrender your life to him. And I'm not asking you to go through six classes. I'm not asking you to come up to the front. I'm not asking you to do anything weird. I'm asking you to surrender your life. Right there you can do it, right there. The Holy Spirit can fill your body and take you on a journey that will transform you and fill you with joy. It's not gonna be problem free, but you're never gonna walk alone again. And if that's you with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I wanna ask you to repeat a prayer after me. The prayer doesn't save you, but the prayer gives you words to confess Jesus as Lord. Right where you are, would you say this simple prayer? Say it with your mouth. You can say it quietly, but say it with your mouth. Repeat after me, say, Heavenly Father, Today, I repent of my sin. And I ask you, forgive me through Jesus Christ, your Son. Today, I confess Jesus as Lord. I give you my life. And as best as I know how, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name.